Esteem Morgan Cole, and welcome to my podcast, Shelf Esteem, where I talk to interesting people about the books that they're interested in. We'll discuss books that we've read, books that we've loved, books that we've found frustrating. It's just like going to book club, except you have to provide your own snacks. My guests in my basement studio this week are my co-worker, the artist Elaine Greeley, who describes herself as a visual geek and community collaborator, and her book club buddy, educator Lynn Shepard, who describes herself as a bookworm and outdoor enthusiast. And we started the conversation by talking about what we've been reading lately. Do you want me to start? You go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, my current love affair is with Anthony. Is it Doer? D-O-E-R-R? Okay. Yeah. Doer? Doer? Do I, I, do I, I, I pronounce it Doer, but I don't really know. Um. So the first thing I read by him was All the Light You Cannot See. Yes. Which yes. someone which recommended to is me. Is also in my And which Lynn has here today. Yes. Yeah. In your pile. Um, I, um, I luxuriated. In reading that book, that was like beautiful. it was, it was, um, it was absolutely designed for my imagination because I'm such a visual person. And um, then my father-in-law loaned me *The Shell Collector* by him also, and though it's a series of short stories, and each one of them, I just wanted to be a novel immediately and perhaps they will and then he passed along this other one so in the past year i've read three of his uh-huh. and you know he could read the phone book <laughs> and i'd be like he could describe the phone book actually and i would be like i'd be right there with him right but the, yeah. he, uh, the four seasons in rome um i loved because it's the story or the journal of him and his wife and their twin um, kids in Rome for a literary um, um, a literary award he got, which was to go and live in Rome uh-huh. for a year and write a book. And the book he was he's journaling about in it is all the light you cannot see. Oh, so it's a book about while he's writing the book. Yes. Oh, I love that. But it comes down to like, how do you like, how do you negotiate living in a city when you don't speak Italian? Mm -hmm. And I've had uh, two friends who um, have moved and lived in Italy and tell really funny stories about trying to buy things without enough language. And so as I was reading this, it was the insanity of um, raising twins, which, you know, I've witnessed with my sister's twins, which is, you know, Cracker Jacks, and then being in a foreign city, and then him trying to do all of that while, while writing oh this goodness. book. And then in it, there's these like he's um, telling stories about some of the research he's doing, and having read this one, you know how it ends up in the long story right, of writing yeah. a book. Anyway, I am um, so those three. I just wanted to say that stuff that I those are three that. In the past 12 months, I've burned through, and so much so that, and this doesn't happen very frequently with me, but when it does, I love it. When you catch yourself, you're like, slow down, slow down, yes. slow down, yes, yes, slow down, down. Don't get read, that, read that phrase again, yeah. read that phrase, and you're like, oh no, it's like a bag of chips, you're eating it too fast. <laughs> trying to make so. it last. Now, do you, are you just recently read All the White We Cannot See? Uh, I read that, yeah, I read that in fall, I guess, or uh-huh. maybe in the summer. Yeah, I really liked a lot, and um, I like—I really like historical fiction. I do and, too; it's my favorite. Um, I'm not a big reader of history, nonfiction history, mm-hmm. but I do like, and I'll often find I'll go then and look up parts of what I see in yeah, in, yeah. That, and this yeah, is my favorite too. genre, I'd say, is historical fiction. Definitely and, mine as yeah. well. And I like this one a lot. What did you I, like the most? Like in that story, what was like? 
been a while. I know. I read it about two years um, ago, and I was so absorbed in the story, but I wasn't happy with the ending. I was not happy with the ending, and that's always a problem for me. What did you think, Liz? Really See, I don't care about the ending. No, I don't I do. either. I care so much. I get so invested yeah. in what happens to characters. I find, because I, the ending, it didn't give you any kind of resolution. No, right? no. And that's and, what I hate. Yeah, well, but then I, I keep telling the story in my mind. Right. Yeah. It does me too. And I don't, I sometimes, because sometimes I find the resolution that the author gives me is not the one that I envision. Yes, so I just had that experience I don't, with the book. I don't always... Um, just many times I'll read the book and go, no, that's not how it's supposed to end. It's supposed to end differently. So I'll continue it in my own head. I, I think it's good but. for me to know that you can give yourself permission to do that. Cause I just finished a book, Francis Bufford, Golden Hill, which is a historical novel, which I loved. And then I hated the ending. And really? I was like, no, I have to rewrite that ending in my head. I cannot accept mm. that ending. I think that's your right. Maybe I just have the ability to be able to back up in a book and then stop remembering what happened and write my own ending. His level of attentiveness to detail was really great for me. I love the relationship between the young girl and the older man. I can't remember any of their names, of course, because I, I don't remember the names and the stories. And then the his whole piece with how she reintegrated him into the world and his radio, the studio that right, he had in right, the attic. Yeah. And, and that, I don't know, anyway, I like that part of it a lot. I like the bad guy too. Marie. Oh yeah. I did not like the bad guy. I think it was one of my problems with that book. I, I, I every time really every time it was a chapter about him, I was like, "This is boring. Get back to the characters I care about." But it was all so. Do you ever written. skip? No, I don't. You I don't never skip. skip. Oh. Not in not in nonfiction. I will in, uh, not in fiction. I will in nonfiction sometimes skip bits. You know, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. Somebody's just talking about the movie Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. I'm reading the book now, and all the stuff about the women's personal lives, and all the stuff about segregation and everything. I'm devouring, and every time it gets to the engineering bits about like aerodynamics and everything, I'm just skim, skim, skim. Yeah, I do that. Oh, in okay. Too. Yeah. yeah. But with a novel, I feel like you need to read everything because you might yeah. miss something. So what else, uh, Lynn? What else did you bring to read? I brought. I couldn't find my book. I think my father might have it, but the cellist of Sarajevo. Oh, and that's uh, Stephen Galloway. Stephen Galloway. Yes, and um, I read recommend that. that to me. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I well, and it was a book that I had on my list. I have a list in my phone when I come right. across books, yeah. and, and that one was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be going through chapters, and they had this new little wall of kind of recommended reads, and it was there. So I read it, I think, in the summer, and um, I. I loved it. So I, and when I looked afterwards, some of it is, you know, he took a little bit of license with the the title and a few things because it was a real person, even though he very clearly states in the beginning of the book that um, it's inspired by the person's life, right? Not really. It's, it's a work of fiction, but he takes some of the real events from the beginning part of that Bosnian war. And, and it's really, um, it looks at three different characters that are, and they're just regular people. One of them is a sniper, a young girl who's a sniper. And one of them is a, this man who gets bossed around by his neighbor and has to go for water and get through the city. And it takes him three days. And it's just a regular man who's terrified mm-hmm. trying to get water for his family in the middle of the war and, and remembering how beautiful his city was. And then, then there's another man who's a baker who's sent, he's older and he's in his sixties, I think, and sent his family out of the city. And he, um, is delivering bread and things, and he's really, um, he's he's crotchety. Yeah. <laughs> he's, and so it's his it's the story of all of them and their fears, and then how this this cellist who really did come out and play every day, kind of after there was uh, people were standing in a lineup. There was twenty two people standing in a lineup in a bakery, and they they were all killed 
by oh. a bomb. And so he would then go out and play. Now, in the book, he plays in the same place at the same time every day. And this young girl um, is kind of tasked with protecting him. Oh. And that's that's not the reality of the situation. He would move around and Absolutely. he wasn't particularly yeah. happy from what I've read with the way he was profiled in that book. But they didn't really tell his story. They didn't yeah. talk about his feelings. But that wasn't the intention but of the But that's always tricky to use a real person in yeah. a fictional... If it's someone who's still living. I mean, they do people do it all the time with historical characters. Right. But yeah, with it was a real tricky. living person, that is tricky. And, but he didn't ever talk about this man he just talked about the fact that he was sitting there with this instrument playing this beautiful right, yeah. sad piece of music and um and everybody else's reaction and how that trickled out through the city and the effect that it had and the hope that it brought and yeah. the strength that it that everyone felt that it took for him to do that and so it was really I thought it was really each chapter was a different person, but yeah. all of those three people were connected through this music. So that was the the thing that tied them together. That was that was the tie. Even though none of them were associated or affiliated yeah. with the other and never met each other, there was no connection that way. It was just a profile line war. Yeah, I've wanted to read that book for a long time because I mm. feel like I want to know more about the Bosnian War because you know I remember it. Everybody does, but but. You know, I feel like I haven't heard a lot of stories from within no, it. No, and don't. Uh, I, I read uh, Leslie Ann Ryan Braco. She's a local author who served as a peacekeeper oh. in Bosnia, I think, uh, or in some part of that former Yugoslavia blow-up war where Canadian service people were serving as peacekeepers. She wrote a novel about it, uh, which was out a couple of years ago, and that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, Chalice of Sarajevo has been kind of on my back burner mentally too. Well, and mm -hmm. it's just a little snippet; like it only looks at four days, right. really. Yeah. But it, it talks, it, and it's all based in the city, and it talks about how the, the baker in particular talks about the beauty, I think it was him, how beautiful the city was, and how now it's destroyed. And mm -hmm. and it's also for me, I've worked with children who've come from that part of the world. Yeah. And are yeah. kind of lived through that war. And so it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, it was really, I cried a lot. I bet. <laughs> yeah. It was a crying book, but mm -hmm. my father read it and went, Oh my gosh, what'd you give me that for? <laughs> that was awful. How did you give me that sad, yeah. terrible book? <laughs> that does make me want to jump ahead to one of the questions I was going to ask, which is, what is a book you wish you could get other people to read? Oh, um, I have um, one there for that. Um, Gabor Mate's In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Oh, I was going to say, you brought that one up a number of times. I, I didn't get any takers. Yeah, yet. no. Uh, yeah. In our book club, I'm always... Um, the the books that I'm most passionate about are always nonfiction that I bring to this book club because we're all kind of um, historical fiction junkies. Right. Um, and, you know, Gabor Mate is really um, famous for his work around addictions. But, like, um, if you're anybody who has had a family member or a friend who have struggled with addictions and you have had challenges with yourself in being feeling compassionate about it or if you feel really black and white reading this book about his close encounters with addiction it creates so much empathy yeah towards that and he what it, i mean this one's covered in tabs right yes, you know like yeah. i've tabbed a thousand things um the thing that i loved about it is it's just enough science it's just enough story um, and he's a great writer. He's, he's a really a, he's engaging He's a great writer. storyteller. Yeah. Like, yeah, just such a great storyteller. And I feel like so in terms of mental health and addiction, so much 
um, shaming and blaming as projected on people who are experiencing. Yes. And so it, it when you come away having read this, and I just wish everybody would have read, could read it, you start recognizing the components of illness. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, anybody working in the field who's read anything knows that mental health and addictions that you it's really hard to untease the two yes that you know one in in many cases even being able to tell the story about what came first or you know they use all kinds of lingo like concurrent disorders and all this sort of stuff but anyway this gave me so much more curiosity mm-hmm. and um, parked my judgments and helped me make I'd say 90% less assumptions about people. Which is huge, you know, and I just feel like that's what we need so much more of in the world right now is Mm. more curiosity, less judgment. More curiosity about why are you going through this? Why do you think this way? What does it mean? And less, you're a terrible person because of this. What about you, Lynn? What would you... uh... Oh, mine is much more superficial. That's okay. That's okay. It's a great (laughs) story. No, there's no sorry. I gotta remember to go first, Elaine. I've read a whole bunch. I've I've read a whole uh, three or four of Alice Hoffman's books, which I oh, really yes, like, yeah. like The Dove Keepers, yeah. The Museum of Extraordinary Things, and um, The Marriage of Opposites. Okay. And um, and then she's got a children's one called Indigo, and I really I like her a lot, and a lot of people don't know about her. Like The Dove Keepers is now a little bit trendy because it's become this television series. Oh, I didn't even know it was television series. I yeah, did read it's it. on yeah. Netflix, but yeah. it's nothing like the book oh, at really? all. I've okay. just looked at it very briefly. It doesn't seem at all like that. And I, I really liked it a lot. And the other, um, and the one my I've been trying desperately to get my book club to read, and everybody is not doing it. Is oh, Orcs Orcs and and oh, I tried to read it and, three yeah. times. I hate and it. I, I know. <laughs> I know you did. And then uh, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try again. Okay, but I want to know what Lynn loved about it, and then I want to know what Elaine hated about it. Well, I like. Uh, well, I read the, the whole series. I actually went back. I read the whole series twice, probably, and then went back and read The Handmaid's Tale because I felt oh, like yeah. that was almost like the prequel. Yes. And yeah. um, I liked how I, I love how she she's just so smart. And I love how she brings in all these elements of what's actually happening in the world and puts them into this to make it seem like it's very outrageous. But like the chicken nubbies are not that far away, right? Where they're breeding the chickens and with no head and no, right? The ones in the book and the people are. So she just takes all these, this current scientific research and scientific trials and makes it a reality and I just I, I just think they're smart they're really smart mm, she is a very smart person Elaine what did you find so hard to get into about it when you tried to read it well I love Margaret Atwood I mean I've read The Handmaid's Tale over the years I'd say at least three times mm. and I love alternative um, futuristic mm-hmm. stuff oh, I do. and for some reason I and, and I've, I, I know I've tried it twice but I will try it again Lynn I really will um I had a block with the character and in some, I think it's because I'm so visual and I couldn't visualize it. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't put my, myself in a place to be there. Mm -hmm. But he's not also, he's also not always likable. He's a bit of a knob at times. (laughs) But that's okay. I think. Yeah, absolutely. He's, but he's, you've got two sides of him. He swings quite a bit, I find anyway. And he's, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. No, my main problem with why I've never picked up this series, and I have kind of a mixed relationship with Margaret Atwood, love some of her uh, stuff. Same. Yeah. Uh, very much the same. I have some that I've started and just said, no, I can't do yeah. that. But I have a problem but. with dystopia. I, I have a really hard time yeah. reading dystopian no, like fiction, and the more realistic it is, yeah. the harder I find it, because it just depresses me too it is much. Depressing. Yeah. I just, uh, about a year ago now, I read... Um, David Mitchell's The Bone Clocks, and the last section of that is set in the not-too-distant future. The character is almost exactly my age, like born in the mid-60s, so she's a teenager in the 80s when she first appears in the book, and she's an, a kind of crotchety old lady by the time the book ends, and the world she's living in as an old lady is such a believable, dystopian, near future that... I couldn't sleep the night after I read it. I was It, it lingered with me for days. I was so Was it bone-crushing? <laughs> it was a little bit bone crushing. It was soul crushing because it's so easy to see the steps from where we are now to how we get to this dystopian future. And it was just, it was horrifying. But so that's why, why do we like love them. dystopian novels so much? That's why I like them. Because I don't. I feel like we're only, it could happen. It really could. Is We're not mm-hmm. that many steps away yeah. unless people are kind of open their eyes and realize, okay, we got to. Yeah change some things or I, I can handle that the being an activist and the having to stop it coming yep. but when I read it by a writer who does it so well when it's mm-hmm. so well written and so believable I think it, it works against me wanting to be an activist because it discourages me it's like oh hmm. this is inevitable this is going to happen I can't yeah. do anything about it you know right I mean I was yeah, on I I've been on a, a total youth fiction reading jag for the past two years uh-huh. and I know Maya loved the whole Divergent series and read it twice and I read it I think I've read it more than once too and and I'm just thinking of like all the the, there must be four or five different series they have a whole dystopian section at the AC Hunter and they had like a black tree next to it and I worked my way through the whole section about two years ago did you read The Giver by Lois Lowry that's kind of like the the original of all these uh, that's what I'm Giver. The Giver I haven't read that well you should read that Elaine it's famous at the Murphy Center for um, Ron having given it to a student who always who referred to as that effing giver only you know more explicitly hated the book <laughs> so whenever the book is around Ron and I always refer to it as that effing giver <laughs> I never read that okay it, yeah, oh, yeah it's it's a really early example of that sort of engineered perfect world mm-hmm. kind of dystopia but I think yeah. I find those bother me less than the kind where it's like society has just crumbled and nobody knows what to do kind of dystopia that's that's the kind that and anything with environmental devastation I find really hard to read because it just Right now, it just seems so believable and mm-hmm. so scary to me. Well, the Road was like that. We read oh, The Road. I and hate I hate The Road. And I read it. <laughs> Freaking barbecue It's not babies. something I would never oh, have yeah. read. I would never have read it, which is why Book Club is I'm still good, unhappy right? about having read but, that. I, but I, it, I, I disliked it, but I read it all, and I was glad that I read it. But it made, it did. It was that same yeah. kind of feeling. It made me nervous. It made me anxious. Yes. Yeah, and that's so the way the David that, Mitchell one yeah, left me. Yeah, it left, me left really you anxious and kind of looking over your shoulder. And But that, I think that's a marker of really good literature. It, it <laughs> like, probably If is, it elicits yeah. that kind of emotional response, mm-hmm. then yeah. somebody's done something right. I agree. Well, Even if they wrote about something really I bad. I agree, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was what I felt about that book. It's like, Okay, I would never read this again. I will never watch the movie. I won't recommend it to people because it's too depressing. However, it was a really good piece of literature. You know, one the one uh, novel, and I can't even tell you when I read it, that um, 
I, I will never be able to let go of, you know, like a book that literally you integrate parts of it into mm-hmm. how you think about the world was Emery McDonald's Fall on Your Knees. Oh my God. It just broke me. It broke me. That is so depressing. That's such a depressing book. But I related to it so deeply. And you bring it up all the time, I know. I know. Like I've never, I've never quite recovered from having read it. Like you can't unremember that you read it. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't affect me that way at all because when you brought it up, I went looking for it. And when I got it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've read this. Oh, that's so depressing. But, <laughs> like, oh, I can't read that again. But I, I, it didn't stay with me that way at all. Because I was kind of like, oh, this is a book full of some really unhappy people. Really? Yes, yes. That, it's like B.C. Andrews so kind well. of book. Like, send me so up in well. the attic. I'll tell you uh, one of the other books I brought with me, which is Jonas Johansson. Oh, this is what this is the original of all the the person who did the unlikely thing titles, yeah, right? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. This no, is this is the second one. Second one. Oh, okay. The hundred year old man who uh, who um, cl- climbed out the window and disappeared was the first one. Right. right. Um, Santa also brought me this one a couple of years ago, but this one I preferred even more. And I guess this is the antidote to the fall on your knees kind of category of um, piece of fiction that. Clings to you <laughs> for the rest I like of your the life. First one better than the second one. Really? Mm. So this one I like more. The girl who saved the king of Sweden. It's an unlikely girl in Africa, um, uh, and a series of uh, imagined historical and imaginary things. Yeah. That at one point she's she's a mathematician and she's in a nuclear facility and she makes her way. I can't even remember all the crazy stuff mm-hmm. that happened. But <laughs> this writer. I don't know if it's, um, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a genre or whatever, but what I I love is you start the book and you're on an adventure (laughs) and unlikely things happen and you go, oh no, oh my God, or you go girl, or no, (laughs) you're laughing out loud because of the hilarity of it all, but it's. It's a train ride. It is. It's, it's a train ride. And I think the reason I like the first one best is because when it was Mary, I believe, who brought it to the book club originally. And I was like, oh, this is not something I'm going to enjoy. So I read it. And as I got into after the first, you know, 50 pages, then I was hooked and I really enjoyed it. And then it does. It brings in all those different um, but it's action. Pure yeah. action. And all these different historical events, these major events that are kind of fluke. And then you you wonder sometimes, though, if, if some of these major events aren't just fluke and happen to be promoted in such a way that they become more major. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's true. Maybe. Well, it's like an alternative reality of like all kinds of crazy stuff happens. And if you yeah. look to the left, one thing happens. And had you looked to the right, perhaps something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, and to, yeah. to my mind, that's like a really nice antidote to you're fated to die. It's painful. Loaves <laughs> of death. And, you know. So it's a somewhat lighter book than, than say, Fall on Your Knees. <laughs> Or, yes and no. Or oh, yes, yes, it is. It is. But um, what I'm curious about is, like, I'm the same way that Anthony Dewar, you know, the Four Seasons of Rome, and I haven't looked into it, but I'm just wondering, like, does Jonas Johansson just sit down and do this timeline for this novel of crazy imaginative things um i mean at one point this girl is sitting on a nuclear bomb that somehow she's gotten shipped through europe in the pillow and sitting on it in the pillow factory in a pillow factory with a bunch of guys one guy who doesn't have a name because his brother has his name and it's just i'm like how when you're reading it you're you can't you know how you 
exp- in some things you're reading, you're like, you expect an ending or you can predict what's going to happen. In this, yeah. you can't hear, you can't make this up. Oh, you know? awesome. And like so half of the characters. writing process. Sure. Yeah. And half of the characters are complete idiots. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now, the thing is, though, I knew what to expect with this one. I, I don't think I could read uh, a third one. Or a fourth one because I kind of have an expectation now of what the kind of the formula is. So I love the formula. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not formulaic, so I I like to not have an expectation. So I don't think I'd read another one, but I enjoyed those two. Lynn, you've got a couple of other books there. Yes. What do you got? This okay. one's let's one, let's remember okay. it's radio. Okay, sorry, <laughs> I was just showing her. So oh, no. it's Salman. It's by Salman Rushdie, but it's Haroon and the Sea of Stories. So it was a book that was given to me a long time ago. Um, and tell uh, us the truth now. How many times have you read it? Two thousand and four. I received this book. How many times have I read this? Oh, I'm not sure that I even know. I'd say probably eight or nine. Wow. Um, See, I'm not that kind of reader, but so, I love And, and I've also yeah. read Midnight's Children. I've read Satanic Verses. I've read other things that he's, like, two or three other books that he's written. But this one, like, I come, my children, know, we quote this book all the time. Oh, like, really? it's something, and my book club read it, and every, a lot of people took it then and gave it to their children and read it. And it's not something that you see very often, but it's mm-hmm. the story of stories, basically. And it's this boy whose father, he thinks, essentially he thinks his father's a bit ridiculous and he's a storyteller and he gets all these stories and he travels around this world that they live in telling stories. And then it turns out that the story, his father, all the stories that his father tells are real. And then he goes into the world where the stories are created and then there's a dark there's a part that's always dark and a part that's always light and it's just it's it's one of the best books I've ever read it's super that's amazing um, now you know and I've heard of so much of Salman Rushdie but Midnight's Children has been on my to read list forever yeah, which, but I you, you're right I hardly ever hear about that one. No, and there's mentioned. a second one um, and I have that one as well but this one is much better it's uh, yeah, I can't even begin to explain it it's too we, I say all the time to my kids, Katem should. Like, it's finished, it's done. It's uh, So he was the bad guy in the story. So, but it's, you almost, we use it as a, yeah, expletive almost all the time. It, it you just gotta awesome. read it. it you just have awesome. to read it. It is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You read it? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'd need to read it again, but mm-hmm. it's interesting, like, at different points in your life or whatever you're navigating what you need to be reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes if life is really Absolutely. busy, you need to read something that makes you feel more. So like, you know, reading something that's going to make you cry your eyes out all the time is sometimes, you know, incredibly comforting and enjoyable at the same time, you know, other times in your life, you want to read something that's just going to make you laugh your head off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, and sometimes if you read it at the wrong time, you've kind of missed the door hasn't really been open for you to really investigate the yeah. characters mm-hmm. to, to uh, some, sometimes it's really about timing. Yeah. Sometimes the right book at the right time. Yeah. You said that about the cat's table where right? we were Michael and Don Chan oh. and you said you didn't enjoy it at all I because you had a boy, table. but you had a son who was the same age yeah. as him at that time. Whereas I loved, I loved the cat's table and I read everything else. Yeah, he's I know written you, you and loved, loved it, it yeah, you know, it's... and actually wilted at the ship inn when he stood next to me at one point <laughs> and, and was going to introduce myself, but I didn't. You were too blessed. It's true about the, the timing, like what's going on in your own life. Yeah. Like there's a book, again, with the dystopian thing called The Age of Miracles. Um, Karen, I want to say Walker. I have to look that up. Um, 
it's it's a totally unbelievable premise that the rotation of the Earth starts to gradually slow down, but what it does is triggers all these environmental disasters, which are all too believable in our world. And you you know you start to realize things that we depend on so much, and how how fragile is the structure on which our whole modern society is built mm-hmm. of all these things that we just trust to keep working. Unfortunately, I started reading it in right after Christmas 2014. I was reading it during Dark NL. Oh no! Oh. So like for four days, our power was going on and off. Mm-hmm. And our pipes burst and froze. We had no heat in our house. And we couldn't, you know, at one point we couldn't find any place to buy food. And I was just, it was just way too Too real for me at that moment. And similarly, I think a friend of mine was reading uh, John Green's The Fault in Our Stars, which of course is about teenagers with cancer. um, Which was a great read. Yeah, great read. But my friend was reading it when her son was sick with something, which was not cancer, but they were waiting for test results and it was just a really bad time to be reading anything about sick kids. So yeah, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of what's going on in your life Mm. at the time. There's a, there's a book on my nightstand called Shattered and it's, it's the story of children who lived through active wars, which is what I'm, you know, I work with children who have those life experiences every day. Like, why is this? When you say gorilla, they don't think, ooh, ooh, ah, ah. (laughs) Why is this next to my bed? And so I haven't even opened it. I just, I need to just put it away for now. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can't cope with that when it's too much like what's going on in life. What's the other one? This one is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel. Oh, I read that. That's so fun. I love this book. And this came recommended through my mother's friend who, you know, was at one point in her life a nun. And I was thinking, mom, she likes that book. I'm not sure if I like that book. And I loved it. I've read it probably four times. And again, it was all in letters, right? Yes. Epistolary. Yeah. And it was, again, opened up um, another piece of history that I didn't know anything about. I knew nothing about this occupation of Guernsey during the Second World War. Like, that's a whole piece of history I was unaware of. Once you get into historical fiction, if you're really into it, there's absolutely no end to how interesting it is. Yeah. Although, at one point... um, in our book club a couple of years ago, we had re- ended up reading three different pieces of fiction um, based out of um, the Second World War, the Second World yeah. War, kind of from the Russian perspective. And I, I remember saying to myself, mm-hmm. I can't read anything else from that time period. Like, That's I don't enough, want, you know, people licking wallpaper to stay alive. <laughs> like, you know, That's like, enough of that. Enough. <laughs> enough of blockades. Enough. But, um, uh, I asked about uh, books that had an influence on you as a kid or a teenager. But oh, yeah. I think you, you brought some like current kids' books that you're mm. interested in, right? Well, um, in our family, you know, when you said you have books that you're kind of as you, you and your kids, mm-hmm. you know, quote mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the book, the book about uh, Ferdinand. Oh yes, yeah, Ferdinand the uh, yeah. um, the bull. The bull gets mm-hmm. quoted all of the time right. in our house. You know, um, she's a kind, thoughtful cow uh-huh. is an expression that happens in our kitchen all the time. Which is like, you know, you know, your mother loves you, and she did something nice for you. So how about a thank you? But um, one of the the other things, and I just brought this because um, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Oh. Like you know. It, life is terrible even in Australia gets quoted a lot which is kind of a suck it up buttercup kind of yes. statement in the house because but I actually really like I love this narrative and I personally really relate to it because you know I grew up with four kids in the house and uh, you know growing up in the 70s in you know kind of um, I didn't live in an outport but kind of rural Newfoundland you know you you, you 
you, you didn't go shopping all the time. You hardly ever got into St. John's and you made, you know, you, there's only so many choices with everything when you're buying your sneakers and upper gullies. Um, and I just, I really feel, I really, I really related to this character, you know, like nothing is going right. You know, he goes and, you know, everything he touches turns to crap. And, and I, you know, like, I have a lot of terrible days like that. You we know? all have those terrible, horrible days. Good, mm. Even in life's, you know, life's like that, even in Australia. <laughs> anyway, that gets quoted all the time in my house. Yeah. What else are people excited about? Um, I I asked what was it? Oh, is there anything by a local author that you? Yeah, heard? I've got two by local authors, which um, you might not have predicted. When I went around the house, I really thought long and hard about this, but one of my favorite ones is geology <laughs> touring through time in forty-eight scenic sites of <laughs> Newfoundland. Awesome. And I know maybe that might surprise you, but I decided a couple years ago that you know I loved earth science in high school, uh-huh. and I didn't I didn't retain any of it. And you know you're out banging around. Newfoundland and you want to be able to tell your kids what rocks they're standing on see I do I like the kind of the medicinal plants and the flowers books mm, the same yeah. ones field guides right field yeah but guides. this is my recent yeah. you know Santa Claus yeah. also gave me this because so I this asked is, for it this is five the geology um, field guide and Martha Hickman Hild very good and it's Boulder publications and one of the uh, recent uses this summer, uh, we were out on the Port of Port Peninsula on a little bit of a family adventure. And at one point, with the book in hand, we're scurrying down a bank on the Port of Port looking for um, this f- feature, which is one of the only places on Earth, I think it might actually be the only, where you can stand on the beach and see the crust of the Earth um, mm-hmm. ribbon. Oh, wow. It's called something. Anyway, I'll look it up and show you in a second. It's an outcrop. And um, I just thought to myself, how cool is it that I knew about it from this book? And then on this adventure where you're driving down a road and it's pretty a commercial, Mm -hmm. not a lot of people people on the Port of Port Peninsula. And because of the book, all of a sudden you're standing on this pristine beach, standing up at a hill, seeing something that nobody, that you'd have to travel around the world to go see. We have so much amazing stuff right here in this province. And Newfoundland's geology is is you know people tr- it, we don't I don't think we appreciate it as much as no. we can and we should know more about the rocks so question now do you sit down did you sit down and read this book cover the cover or do you just kind of open it up in the places where you are and pick through I am um, wherever I am I look through it so mm-hmm. this summer we we did Notre Dame Bay Green Bay and port of port mm-hmm. so I took it to wherever we were yeah. and then of course you know sitting around the campfire I'm you know my poor children are forced to have to listen to me talk <laughs> incessantly about uh, the outcropping but how else do you learn about the stuff you're standing on that's right anyway. yeah, and you've got the field guide to birds there as well the field right? guide uh, Ian, Ian um, work I don't know how to pronounce that is Sandy Newton is one of the writers but Ian Warkenton yeah. I don't know his name either but yeah I birds Newfoundland this one gets used so much and um uh we take this everywhere. Like this is in the backpack, and I we draw into we write into it where we've cited some oh, stuff. That's great. And yeah. so this summer, oh, like so you know, nice. the geek in me is always trying to find another bird I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And so this summer, we saw the ruddy turnstone and the red knot on the beach in Shallow Bay with binoculars. And this is a hilarious moment. So myself and Mai are sitting there, and we've got our binoculars, and you know, these are you know endangered birds. <laughs> And the boys are off hiking gross morn. And uh, we're sitting there, you know, dutifully like two little, you know, adventurers. And these lo- uh, this, this local family walked down to the beach. And all of a sudden, a pile of three-year-olds 
run into the endangered birds because it's low tide. <laughs> and they're like, they're just having their regular day. And I'm sitting there going, ah, ah, there you are. <laughs> all these little nesting plovers. Anyway, it just made me laugh because, you know, it's all about... It's all about the sacredness that you project on things. Oh, yes. Yeah. One that I read that still stands out in my head that I read and I read and I read and I read sitting on the floor on the blue carpet next to the giant bookshelves was, what was it called? I had to even look it up because all I could remember was the story of Cochise. And it was these book, they were called Value Tales. And that, that my mom maybe had like the, uh, <laughs> and it was the value of truth and trust, the story of Cochise. And he was this Apache chief and it was written like i don't know when the book was written in the 60s sometimes and it was this big white hardcover and it's all done with cartoon drawings and even the rocks sometimes are sad and <laughs> like all these emotions are written into the story and uh i read it i must have read that 50 times as a child i have never heard of this mm-hmm. they're called value, value tales value tales and there's I another one um there's there was who else do we have? Louis Pasteur, and okay. there's a whole bunch. We have probably five or six, but Cochise was the one I read the most, yeah. Oh. Truth and Trust. And it talks about the, you know, the different groups of people and the Native people and the, the, the sailors or the uh, soldiers that were there and then the interactions between them. I haven't read it in 25 years. But it's obviously lingered with but you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I could, I knew it was okay. It was something I wrote, I put in Story of Cochise, Truth. And then it came up. So I'll have to buy them Mm. for my children because it was good. Yeah. Yeah. There's one book from our childhood that I'm sure it was like the, you buy the books um, at school, like the Scholastic, I'm sure it was, Mr. Pine's Purple House. So Mr. Pine is this dude on the street and all the houses are exactly the same. And he tries to make his house a little bit different. And he plants a pine tree out on the right-hand side of the door. And then everybody thinks that looks nice. So they do the same thing. And then he (laughs) continues to do another thing. And then he does another thing. And then finally, he's like, you know, trying to live his individuality Uh right through the, his, you know, this neat street, every, every, you know, it's such a neat street and a tidy street. And uh, finally he paints his house purple and everybody thinks he's a wingnut. Like, why would you paint your house purple? And, you know, um, I think that whole story of people, um, trying to live out their individuality has really stayed with me and I've never been able to find it but whenever I'm at a second-hand bookstore or a junk store I'm always looking for Mr. Pine's Purple House. Have you looked online for it? Because there's so many no, second-hand I just want, book places No, online. I just thought maybe it will come back to me at some point you, but yeah. the reason why I haven't looked for it is because there's another book that um, a family who was here during 9-11 sent me after from Washington. They sent it as a present for Simon and I and it's called The Orange Splot and it's essentially the same story. Really? So there's this guy and he lives on this tidy street and everybody's house is the same. And he decides, um, and then a, a seagull drops a can of orange paint on his roof and he leaves it. And then he starts embellishing his house and he buys an alligator and plants a palm tree. And, and all the neighbors, um, the neighbor goes over to try to convince him, you know, to make his house look tidy. And then person after person after person, he ends of talking them all into living their individuality mm-hmm. through their houses. Oh, cool. And then all the houses on the street start looking like the people's imaginations. Oh, that's great. So the reason why I haven't gone looking, but it's, it's the same tale, yeah, which is like, like get your freak on, like, you know, <laughs> live at large, like, 
you know, paint your house to look like a crenulated castle. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. do her up. That's great. I love that. I love the message of both those books, even though I've never seen them. Mm-hmm. The, the Phantom Tollbooth is almost the opposite of that one. Have you read The Phantom Tollbooth? I love Phantom Tollbooth. Phantom Tollbooth. Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, so, such a great book. Yeah. What's happening so, about? Well, it, this kid, it, he he's the opposite. He thinks everything is boring. Everything is boring. And Milo? Yeah, Milo. Everything is boring, and he, he doesn't really get excited about anything. And then he ends up going through this... Toll booth. If it's been mm-hmm. a while since it's I've like into read an it. alternate kind and, of world. Yeah, and he, and he drives his little toy car in there, and then there's a a watchdog who's actually a dog with a big watch in his stomach, and his name is uh, Talk. Yeah. And then there's a there's one thing. Um, he end up he jump you end up jumping to conclusions. He accidentally ended up in the land of conclusion by jumping. Yeah. It's a very and it's a very it's, all, it's around language. It it's is. really all playing with language. Yeah. It's also doesn't he at some point get synonym buns? Oh, I think so. Which is <laughs> what? A joke. I have to read this oh, joke I've been making book. forever because every time I make cinnamon buns, I always say to my family, "I've made synonym buns or rolls," <laughs> because that's a sin- anyway, yeah. Yeah. and nobody laughs. Nobody ever laughs. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to read it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you should. Definitely read it. I think we had we had three copies at one point, and then I brought it into my school to the librarian mm-hmm. there because Beth had never read it. And then um, I have one in, in a bag to give to my goddaughter for Christmas. I, I lost my copy. I think at one point um, I had two copies. Yeah. Have you ever had a book that you've bought again and again and again and again and given to people over and over, or that you've noticed yes. that you have multiple copies in your house? Yeah. What would it be? Uh, Cheryl Strait's Tiny Beautiful Things. Within I the last week. Did I give you a copy You of gave that? me a copy. And I had a copy from my classroom at work, which I think I had a couple of copies, but there's one left. I've never read I think that. I might have given Anne one. I, I brought it to book club. And I don't think I have one on my own anymore, so I need to pick up another copy just for myself. But it's... Oh, Oh, it's it's tiny beautiful things is the one that's based on dear sugar, right? Her, yeah, yeah, big sugar, dear sugar, dear sugar, yeah, big it's sugar. Dear sugar. No, you keep calling it big sugar though, but it is dear sugar. It's because it's a podcast. I get the podcast too now, uh, but it's an advice column. Radical empathy. It's so atypical as an advice column. Like she just cuts to the heart and cuts through the BS of we what people it. are asking. No, about. I haven't. And. I've given it to everyone, I think. tells these mm-hmm. amazing stories from her own life and from the lives of her friends that are so on point, and she's such a great writer. And she really calls them to, like, you know, like, even though your life is whatever it is, like, you got you got this, like, yeah. you bang away at it. Like, like, she somehow manages to show radical empathy, and yet at the same time really shake motivate. people up. Motivate people, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a great book. That's one that I have given away multiple copies of, and I think mine has since disappeared. Do you have a kid's book that you've consistently given away a lot? I give, I mean, when we talk kids with like little kids, like books, baby I give the Boynton board, board books, the Sandra Boynton books to everyone who has a baby. It's like Mooba, mm-hmm. La La La, yeah. and the Going to Bed book, mm-hmm. and Not the Hippopotamus. Those mm-hmm. were the ones that we read over and over to my kids. I could actually, I could actually read them. I yeah, can read recite. Them. I could yeah. recite them yes. to you now. Yeah. yeah, I probably could still. But the Gruffalo we've given to a lot of kids too. Do you know what I just found out? I always read the Gruffalo to my kids when they were little, and only recently, like within the last year, has Emma, who is sixteen now, told me she was completely traumatized by the Gruffalo as a child. Uh, why? And she because it was scary. It was too scary for her. Oh my goodness! And she never expressed this as a child because she didn't want to appear weak. So <laughs> you know, my four-year-old was being traumatized by being read the Gruffalo and would not express this because she's such a little trooper. I feel oh so God. bad. Yeah, Maya. Maya said that she wanted to tell you that her favorite book as a little person mm-hmm. was *Goodnight Gorilla* because it's the first book she could read. Oh, that's so great! That's so and great. so that's such a that, so memorable to her because she said, "I remember when you figured out that I could read." 
And I didn't want to tell you I could read because I didn't want you to stop, stop reading to me. Yes. So I pretended I couldn't read for a long time and then you caught me. <sighs> it's so fun because when your kids have books that they, you read to them over and over and then you see them with the book, you think they're just reciting from memory. And then you realize, I can remember that with Chris and some of his favorite books that, you know, there was a point where I realized he's not just reciting that. He's actually reading and he can, he can read those words. It's a great yeah. And on that, I'll never forget, like, the there's one page and it's Good Night by all the characters who are in bed. And they're different sizes of font. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the bigger animals are, like, bigger um speech bubbles and then the smaller animals are smaller ones and you know the way you would say it is good night good night good night good night right, you have to do all the voices you have to do all the voices right and you would say it for the perfect amount of the speech bubbles in the black yeah but she said yeah no she she loves that book because she just she just remembers the point at which she realized i can read oh, that's so great mm -hmm. Neat. Mm -hmm. ladies this has been wonderful i've really enjoyed it i've come away with a whole bunch of new books that i have to check out me too. Yes, I need. Uh, my list has gotten much longer now. I need, I need to write them down, though, or I won't remember. Yes, yeah, it's the important thing mm -hmm. is to remember them. Thank you okay. so much for doing this. Thank this was lots it. of fun. Well, that wraps up my conversation with Lynn and Elaine. If you'd like to see a list of all the books that we talked about today, go to my website, TrudyMorganCole.com, and click on the link that says Shelf Esteem. I'd like to thank my two guests today. Lynn Shepard and Elaine Greeley for this great conversation about books. I'll be back again in a couple weeks with some more great guests to talk about more great books. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.